0: The Lord be with you. And also with you. Alleluia. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Hallelujah. We gather to worship in the spirit of one who wrote, unite the pair so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety, learning and holiness combined, truth and love for all to see. The liturgy, music, and homily this day are offered for our gathered congregation here within Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership and service in our midst And as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence here with us in worship. Today we welcome, after their tours and after their magnificent concert in this nave Friday evening, Marsh Chapel's own Inner Strength Gospel Choir to help us lift the Easter hymns of faith under the talented and ministerial leadership of Herbert S. Jones. And we receive with gladness, as has become our custom and tradition on this weekend devoted to the care of the earth, a sermon from our university chaplain for international students, a PhD candidate candidate in social ethics at Boston University, our own Ms. Jessica Chica, who brings us the theme, Fear and Doubt, Hope and Faith. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it as we are able... May we stand in the praise of God. Be seated. In the ringing resurrection conclusion to his letter to the Philippians in the fourth chapter, our own apostle to the Gentiles writes, Have no anxiety about anything, but in all things, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, lift your needs to God this moment of confession, of pause and prayer, we turn away from our very human anxiety and leave it aside and lift our hearts, glad and happy hearts, to receive the divine thanksgiving, leaving beside us anxiety and holding on to God's Eucharist. Have no anxiety about anything, but in all things, in prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, lift your needs to God. Let us pray. good news, if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks Thanks be to God.
1: A lesson from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verse 14 and verses 22 to 32. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you. As you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. Foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: lesson from the first epistle of Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that, though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed." Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
3: Please join me in reading verses responsibly from Psalm 16, along with the antiphon. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And I have a glorious heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. The Lord is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also dwells secure. For you do not give me up to the seal, or let your faithful ones see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore.
4: Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. Glory Glory to to you, O Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in His name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ.
5: Please be seated. Good morning. Christ Christ is risen. Hallelujah. It is an honor and a privilege to step into the pulpit at Marsh Chapel again this morning. My thanks to Dean Hill for his gracious offer to have me deliver the sermon today, as well as to the rest of the staff and the congregation for their continued support of my ministry here at Marsh. It is Earth Day weekend, and as has become somewhat of a tradition here at Marsh, I am glad to have the opportunity to share the good news with you today fear and doubt, hope and faith. We are just coming out of our Lenten journey of repentance and solemnity into the joyful celebration of Easter. Life over death, the possible over the seemingly impossible. From darkness to light, the hopeless to the hopeful, For many, the day of Easter is over. It's reserved for celebration one day out of the year, but for us in the church, we continue to celebrate Eastertide for weeks afterward, 50 days in total, recalling Jesus' resurrection and the joy and hope that it brings. But it's also a time when we can explore what our faith means what our faith is grounded in, and how we can come to claim our heritage within Christianity. We've entered into the second week of Easter, our Easter journey this Sunday with the story of Jesus appearing to the disciples on the evening of what we've come to celebrate as Easter Sunday. We commonly refer to this passage as the story of Doubting Thomas. Thomas, who was not with the, the other disciples when Jesus appeared, insists that he must see and touch the wounds of Jesus in order to believe that he is risen. He's earned the moniker of doubting over the course of Christian history because he does not rely on the other disciples' testimony to the risen Christ. He insists on seeing and touching in order to believe. I think that Thomas the twin gets a bad rap from this story. Let's go back and look at the text again. It's not just Thomas that's doubtful, or even better, without faith that Christ will do what he said he would. Mary Magdalene had already encountered Jesus at the tomb after she and Simon Peter and the other disciples discovered that his body was missing. Jesus instructed her to go to the disciples and to tell them that he was ascending to God, and she did so. I have seen the Lord, she reported to them. But what do the disciples do in response? Do they go to the tomb to see if Jesus will also appear to them there? Do they take Mary at her word? No. What do they do? They return to the house that they have been staying in in Jerusalem and lock themselves inside. They are afraid. Afraid that others will come after them because of their association with Jesus. Afraid that, like Jesus, they too will suffer It seems that they have forgotten everything Jesus did and demonstrated in his time with them and instead are seeking self-preservation above all else. Where is their reliance on what Jesus instructed now? And then the unexpected happens. Jesus appears to them. Somehow he enters into the locked house and shows himself to them, offering them peace and sending them forth with their assignment to go out and forgive the sins of others. As God sent Jesus to earth, so Jesus sends the disciples out with a message of salvation. The disciples are overwhelmed with Jesus' appearance and are eager to tell Thomas about their encounter. So Thomas is not initially the only one in disbelief here or lacking in faith. The disciples too are not convinced by others' testimony of the resurrected Jesus. They have to see to believe. They have to be reminded of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Unlike the other disciples, however, Thomas asserts what will convince him that, Christ, that Jesus is risen. He wants to see and touch the wounds of Christ, to verify that it is him and hopefully strengthen his belief. He wants to understand what happened to Jesus. He doesn't fully grasp what the resurrection is about. Now, this story provides a practical form of guidance for the church after its first generation. Without Thomas's insistence on seeing the wounds of Jesus, Jesus would not have to explain that those who would never see the risen Christ are also blessed in their belief. The author of the fourth gospel knows that the, wounds, the words and actions of the disciples and of Jesus will have to be enough to sustain believers long after those who had first-hand knowledge of Jesus, including us. Here we have Jesus saying it outright. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. But still, Thomas is an exemplar of what discipleship should look like. Thomas demonstrates a questioning faith. A faith that looks critically at the situation and says, This isn't what I expected. I need more proof. And he's been unfairly cast in a negative light because of his questioning nature. But I want you to do some self reflection in light of Thomas's questions. Many of us, I think, have gone through or continue to go through periods of questioning faith. And that's good, that's healthy. Ours is a faith that insists on critical thinking, not just rote memorization. It asks us to critically engage with the world around us and interact with others. It begs us to be active participants in our own faith. And Thomas, through his questioning, comes to a theological statement that has not, to this point in the text, been uttered by anyone else My Lord and my God. Thomas not only recognizes that it's Jesus standing in front of him, but also Jesus' divine nature. Jesus is God. A questioning faith, then, can lead to a deeper and richer faith. But what good is it, this faith, if we fail to use it properly? Brian Stoffregen, a Lutheran pastor and purveyor of the online exegetical resource Crossmarks, in reflecting on Thomas's faith, states that faith is not really about what we believe, but what difference it makes in our lives that we believe. Let me say that again. Faith is not really about what we believe, but the, what difference it makes in our lives that we believe. What I take this to mean, as an ethicist, and my theologian friends may argue a different perspective on this, is that if we do not live our lives in a way that reflects our beliefs, then we waver in our faith. If we are overcome with fear and doubt in the face of challenges, we also waver in our faith. If we assert doctrinal beliefs, but we don't follow them with action, we waver in our faith. If, however, like Thomas we are able to learn from our fear and doubt, able to push through the questioning to something more, then our faith can deepen. My academic interest is in ecological ethics. I study how faith can inform people's understanding of the world around them, and inspire them to lessen their impact on the earth. I have to be honest with you. A lot of what I study, is, for lack of a better word, extremely depressing. (laughs) I see all of the ways we continue to harm the Earth in the name of economic profit and corporate greed, as well as, in some cases, sheer willful ignorance in the face of science that tells us how we are continuing to harm the planet. It has recently been particularly painful as the health of the environment continues to be less of a concern for those who are in charge of making our nation's priorities. For example, we cannot say that clean air and clean water are priorities and at the same time insist that regulations on coal mining are too stringent and allow for pollutants to be dumped into nearby streams. This is just one example of how our consumption and misplaced desires for economic gain have taken a toll on the environment. We allow corporations to do what they want because they have money. We continue to only measure success by economic gain rather than by sustainability. In many cases, we do not immediately observe the impacts of our life, that our lifestyles have on the world. And so therefore, we don't see anything wrong with the way that we're acting. It's only when we reach a critical point of pollution or impact on human health that we feel moved to do something. And in some cases, even that is not enough. Or if we have a sense of what the problems are, but we are so overwhelmed by their size and complexity, we feel like we can't do anything, that the solution is hopeless. This is where I think we can learn from today's gospel lesson. Fear and doubt exist in, all, in on all of us, but we, with the help of God, have the ability to transition from that fear and doubt into hope and faith that is de- defined by the difference that our beliefs make in our lives. Hope is the biggest contribution that our faith in God can provide in turbulent times. This hope is not idealistic or naive, but recognizes the realities of the situations at hand and encourages us to find opportunities for justice and reconciliation. Since my introduction to his work in college, I have been enamored with the poetry and essays of Wendell Berry. Some of you may be familiar with his work. A farmer, writer, and environmental activist, Berry has written over 50 books describing the life and struggle of the small family farmer in the face of materialism, capitalism, and the ever-growing idea that technology will save us all. Barry lives with his wife on a farm in Kentucky, getting his electricity from solar panels, but still using horse-pulled plows to till his soil. Barry advocates for a life of patience and hope, living in tune with the world around us and letting letting it guide us to the best way possible to interact with it. Bill McKibben, the noted environmental activist and author, calls Barry a prophet of responsibility. His writing speaks to so many because it comes from a place of authenticity and experience. While some of Barry's work has become more radical as he's aged, it never falls into a trap of pessimistic fatalism in the face of global climate change, pollution, and ever-growing, ever-growing agribusiness that is creating so much harm to our planetary home. He remains hopeful and confident in humanity's ability to recognize the changes that must be made. In an interview with Bill Moyers a few years ago, Barry, in a rare television appearance, explained how he interweaves concepts of hope, grace, and faith into his writing, while also at the same time describing aspects of the world around him in a way that uplifts them as to what he calls precious things. Barry is a Christian, self identifying as a person who takes the Gospels very seriously. He admits that there are parts of the Bible that he understands, parts that shame him, and parts that baffle him. He does not claim to have it all figured out, but asserts that his belief is that the world and our life in it are conditional gifts from God. What he means by this is that we must know the world, take care of the world, and love it. Things that we have ultimately failed to do. Barry brings together the fear and angst of a planet in crisis with the sense of responsibility and hope that can be found by listening and reflecting with the earth. Listen now to the words of Wendell Barry in his poem The Peace of Wild Things, read by Marsh associate Casey Schultz.
1: When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound In fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Barry provides
5: for us a voice that is vulnerable to fear and doubt, but that is also still able to convince and convey hope and faith that is found in the world around us. He has a very real sense that God and God's grace are communicated through nature. God's grace is both seen and unseen in the natural world. Barry advocates that we can experience the divine through paying attention to and loving the earth. And in turn, our connection with the earth can deepen our faith. Hope, a legitimate, authentic hope, as Barry puts it, can be spurred by one good example. We only need a kernel of experience to be able to change ourselves, to make a difference in our lives, to see the world in a different way, and act in a way that will promote its sustainability. Nature, for so many, is a place where individuals feel a deeper connection with God, overcome with the complexity and beauty of the earth. When we separate ourselves from nature, both physically and mentally, failing to see the ways in which we are connected to it, we, in turn, can lose a sense of ourselves and our hopes for the future. In John's Gospel, we are invited to understand that it is in the hearing of the word, the truth of Jesus' ministry and death and resurrection, that we are to come to faith, and through that faith, hope. The disciples and Thomas had not completely lost their faith but they had doubt and wavered in their assurance of Jesus' resurrection. We must remember that they were human beings, just like us. The example of Thomas' questioning faith assures us that it is okay to doubt and have fear, so long as we engage that doubt and fear in a productively critical way. In doing so, we may come out with a deepened understanding of that that which is holy. Yes, blessed are those who come to believe without seeing, but that does not mean we should come to our faith without question. In fact, in questioning God or seeking answers from God, we admit faith that God at least exists and that our faith can be potentially deepened by the process of self-examination that such questioning requires. Once we have a sense of what our faith means to us, that faith must be translated into action. Let it work on us to create change within us to do what is right in the world. I leave us not with a statement as to what we should do in the face of fear and doubt, wherever that fear and doubt may spring from, but rather to encourage us to question ways in which we can seek out hope and faith. Are we willing to name our fears and doubts, and not just hide behind them, but actively seek ways of addressing them? Where can we find examples for an authentic hope? How do we observe God at work? Is it in ourselves? Is it in other people? In community? All of us together? Is it like for Barry in the natural world? What difference do our beliefs make in how we live our lives? Do we get involved when times are difficult? Do we march? Do we exercise our right to vote? Do we try to create change in our local community? Do we enact our faith as Christians when we see injustice in the world? Do we value the planetary systems around us and try to protect and preserve them? and in turn, protect and preserve our futures as human beings. What difference do your beliefs make in how you live your life? Amen.
6: Now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me Lord. As the weather begins to warm our city and our days continue to grow longer, we pray that we see your beauty in the creation around us. We pray for every brief moment before us, and we pray that we see the significance in it all. We pray that we see our meaning as beings grounded in you. We pray for our community, that we may continue to be an outpouring of love to the tapestries of society that we are a part of, We pray for the Boston University community, as many students begin to face the most stressful periods in their semesters. We pray for those around us in need. We pray for those around us facing pain and suffering, both spoken and outspoken, that they may find the comfort they need. We pray for our planet that so desperately needs protection. We pray for the environment that we often neglect. We pray that we never forget our humble place in existence and we understand the great responsibilities we have as beings on earth. We pray that we do not take for granted the wonder and grandeur of nature. We pray for the current leaders in our world, that they may work for justice, truth, and unity. We pray that we may see through the divides in our communities, in our societies, and in our own lives. In this all, we pray that we may accept and embrace the tensions in our lives, rejecting a resentment of existence and standing faithfully courageous and humbly present in the midst of tension, reflecting the inspiring, humble life of the one who took on the tension of existence with faithful courage, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. And as our Lord, Savior Christ has taught us, the glory forever and ever. Amen.
2: The peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again here in the nave of Marsh Chapel and invite you to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew, passing that book along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We come to that time in the academic year where some of you are anticipating receiving a large piece of paper with your name on it in fancy calligraphy come May 21st. For those of you who may find yourselves in this position, we invite you uh, to reflect on your spiritual journey while here at Boston University and to submit a reflection in about 500 words uh, as part of our This I Believe uh, reflections for the year. Uh, more information about submitting and, and participating in that is available on the chapel website at bu.edu slash chapel. Uh, uh, tomorrow, Monday evening at 7.30 p.m. is our last Religion on Tap for the year. We hope our uh, 20, over 21 undergrads and graduate students can join us for that. And we note that next Sunday is our last Bach experience for the year. Uh, we'll gather here in the nave at 9.45 in the morning for uh, the Bach experience as uh, Dr. Jarrett leads us in reflection on the cantata, and then the cantata will be performed in its entirety in the context of the liturgy at 11 a.m. Uh, this uh, fourth cantata for the year is uh, BWV 74, Vermi Klebet. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to meditate on Will You Be There? from the concert of sacred music by Duke Ellington, sung by the Inner Strength Gospel Choir. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God. Loving God, we offer you these gifts in praise of your blessing. You exemplify your love for us through your teachings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. With your guidance, we hope to grow as individuals and spread your love. May these gifts being offered exemplify our never-ending gratitude for your compassion and forgiveness. We pray these things in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
5: The God of steadfastness and encouragement grant grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The God of all grace bless you now and forever. Amen.